My name is Dimitri, and I'm a productivity and minimalism enthusiast. I'm Chance. I'm a philosophy and ethics enthusiast. And you're listening to the Rise Productive Podcast. The show where productivity meets philosophy. And what it means to build a better life. Enjoy the show. What is going on, guys? Welcome back to the Rise Productive Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about something that's very close to Chance is heart. I almost said your full name for some reason. Uh, close to your heart, uh, the, the LSAT. Oh, the old LSAT. Yeah, we're going to talk about um, 10 lessons I learned from the LSAT and going to keep it as loose and soft-skilled as we can. So hopefully this can apply to you taking any kind of graduate or any kind of big standardized tests in your life and hopefully give you some uh, some good thoughts, some good skills that hopefully can help you uh, down the line. But uh, first, how are you, Dim- how are you, Dimitri? Oh, I'm I'm good. I think it's funny. Uh, sometimes sometimes we see each other right beforehand, but I guess we haven't seen each other in a while. So, uh, what what can I catch? What can we catch up on that we didn't already BS about before the podcast actually started? I think that. Uh, work's been pretty solid, been busy. Uh, I'd like to give a shout out to my boss for, and the um, some of the execs at the company for um, showcasing their recognition for the hard work. We've been, we've been busy. There's a certain time of year for a certain industry. I'm not sure what's under my NDA and what's not, so I'm just going to not be explicit and just say it's busy time of the year for me. And they showed us some appreciation, and I'm like, you know what? That makes me feel like I'm, I'm all right at my job. So thanks. Nice. That- that's awesome. I, I'm enjoying watching who's um, climbing the ranks at your job and people finally uh, giving you the respect you deserve. Facts. That's a fact. Uh, what else? Uh, the channel is, is in the loco right now. Don't really know what to say about it. Besides, every time I look at the analytics, I keep wanting to stare at them. So I'm just going to try to not look at them because vanity metrics are bad. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, we discovered that not too long ago. That's good, man. I mean, as as tempting it is, I'm sure to not look at it. It's uh, still exciting stuff. So, cheers to you. Keep up the good work. Yeah, there's a bit of a reward part there to staring at it. But at the end of the day, I know that there's uh. There's more to do, there's more to work on, and I'm going to continuously try to improve the content and focus on my systems rather than having goals. Outside of systems, how was your week? It was a nice week. We are in the midst of a fall break, which is actually an extra day long for me. It's only Monday, Tuesday, but I have no class on Wednesday. So a huge week for me. I was just up in oh. the Wisconsin Dells and... um. Had a nice little vacation with my partner. We um, spent a couple of days hiking and just kind of grounding ourselves. And um, it was nice. I mean, it's it a nice quality time. It's beautiful up in Wisconsin. So really enjoyed the state parks. And um, yeah, now we're back. Got to focus in on some systems here. Maybe get ahead a little bit on some work and uh, crush it until Thanksgiving break here. Nice, nice. I forgot you guys are having... Are you guys having the the two fall break scenarios or is this just the normal one fall break? 
like this that is, was happening before COVID. No, we're back to the the one fall break system, which nice. I don't even know if I prefer that. I kind of like the the two long weekends we had last year, but this will be fine. This is almost a a full break for me because I only have class one day this week, so pretty peaceful. Yo, yeah. I'm just saying. I I feel like you probably heard a couple times when I did that. I did that. And I was just like, huh, y'all are missing out when you, when you schedule your, your classes in a way that you just barely ever have class. So then if they have a, then if they have a, a day off like that, you are just, you're winning because unlike other people or, or the professors are only in their own frame of mind, right? They're only in their own frame of mind of, okay, well, this section is missing that one day when you as a person miss all of them at once you're not in a negative circumstance they're not thinking like oh we got to get ahead beforehand to you know what i mean like you're not like there's not the the same level of stacked like benefit versus like the negative for the professor who would try to like get ahead because they're only thinking like ah it's one of my sections i don't really get to worry about it but for you it's like all of your sections and since all of your professors are like eh whatever it's one section being kind of behind they probably didn't like make a big deal about it i don't know it's fun yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the professor can cancel class. Like, for example, my night class tomorrow night is actually canceled, even though classes are back in session for the night class Tuesday evening. But my professor's probably looking around mm-hmm. like, oh, well, they'll all have class on Wednesday and Friday. Like, it's going to be a normal week. Not for me. Yeah, one of my roommates actually thought I was in 12 credits and we're six weeks in. Exactly. It's just when you task batch your, your schedule the way you can, it's you really hacked the system. So I'm, I'm glad to be here late better than ever. Hey man, I don't think I, I think I figured out the, the class situation my junior year, second semester, sophomore year. And then I found the productivity stuff. So it's, it's something I, I didn't, I didn't use it to the best of my ability beforehand. I think I just probably used it to like schedule raid times. If I had to think about it actually. Yeah. That is one of the best things about productivity. Sometimes you're just, you're doing the right thing according to the productivity experts and um, you didn't even know. You just didn't even know. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of not even knowing, um, something that you you could know, which would be, which would be nice beforehand is is something for a guy who's chopping down a tree. And I think it'd be a good segue for you to drop that fat enthusiast quote of the weekend. (laughs) Yeah, fat enthusiast quote of the week. I actually, this is like an embarrassing little tangent. Not embarrassing, but it's an odd little tangent. I would not call myself someone who is into anime, but I originally heard this quote from My Hero Academia where um, there's like this fight scene and this group is like kind of in shelter and like preparing themselves for the next stage of this battle and... One of the guys says, if I was given eight hours to chop down a tree, I'd give, I'd use the first six hours sharpening my axe. And I mm. wrote this down, I looked it up, and I think it's, they, they can't find exactly who first said this quote. Some people say Abraham Lincoln, some say like a Chinese proverb, what have you. But this is honestly a quote that I will think about pretty regularly, especially in terms of like writing an essay or any kind of in-class exam or essay in class, there's a lot of times where people immediately start scribbling and I just sit there and think out my thoughts. And I think a lot of people look at me like I'm insane. They're like, 
this kid knows it's timed, right? <laughs> like he knows we don't have much time left, but I spend a lot of time. <laughs> I spend a lot of time pre-writing so that when it comes time to write the, the paper or do the, do the task well that matters, I'm doing it at a higher level. And I think this applied well for um, LSAT studying as well, because it does take hundreds of hours in order to kill it for two hours and 20 minutes. That's true. I think that's very fair. A lot of practice going into it. Uh, it's interesting because there's actually, you like Captain Sinbad, and he actually had an argument. I don't want to say against this because I feel like it's contextual, right? A lot of arguments are contextual. Um, he had this talk about how he manages to work full time and do YouTube, or he did, and now he's a, you know, he only does YouTube now. And he talked about the the shoot reload shoot approach which saves him time are you familiar with this have i brought it up to you um i think just in passing i don't know the detail yeah so it's the concept of if you're going to go for an exam you should probably just try see what you messed up and then learn from that standpoint but i guess that maybe it's different contextually than what you're talking about I agree with the, the shoot, reload, shoot idea. That's actually something I can get into later on. But just to quickly preface and put that into a context of the LSAT is any study company or anyone who's taking the LSAT would tell you you got to do the diagnosis test, see your initial raw score off mm. zero hours of studying and see just innately what you're going to be the best at between the three sections. And... um from there, you kind of carry yeah. your studying towards what you're going to be the worst at, while also, of course, learning the proper context of questions. And you want to be good at all the sections, of course. But yeah, it's um, it's definitely about putting yourself out there. And I think there's people in one camp who study so hard and spend so little time taking exams. You have that fear of failure. And then I think I in this case is actually at the other end of the spectrum, the other camp that look to take exams a lot and not think about, I didn't reload per se. I was shooting on empty, just trying to see what I could hit. Yeah. Uh, I think maybe there's like contextual knowledge I can drop in here. I don't say knowledge, a contextual point I can make in here. It's probably the case that that makes sense when it's at an inconsequential state. I feel like your quote about eight hours to chop down a tree and then I would spend six time, six hours sharpening my axe. I feel like that does make sense in the actual test setting. However, when it's an inconsequential period, when you are doing the practice tests, you are doing it different type of thing so one makes sense more for a studying purpose and and it i guess you could argue that the shoot reload shoot approach is still in the overarching sense leading up until that final test you are still sharpening the axe yeah exactly yeah i i do see how this runs counter to the the quote the shoot reload shoot but yeah but i guess if you're shooting in a practice test that's still kind of that's still kind of sharpening the axe more than it chopping is. down the tree you know i'm imagining like imagining a box where like the outside of the box is the overall lsat 
test, right? And then inside of it is the studying and the mm-hmm. lead up to the exam. And I guess the optimal thing to do for the inside of it all, like the most inner point, which is the studying point, which be which would be to do the shoot reload shoot approach. But you, 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 do you imagine what I'm imagining? It's kind of <laughs> like uh, you're doing like a specific thing in a specific circumstance, but then at a different a different point when you get to the actual exam, taking time to think makes more sense because you're in the consequential point after you've done all the practice. Yeah, I, I, exactly. I, I think we're on the same page. I hear you're saying. Yeah. But um, so I'm gonna go through. I think we could, we can go through um. Yes. I have 10 or 11 things I written down here. If we don't get to all of them, that's fine. But I want to start with things I did well, because I think I have almost the exact number of things I did well and things I did poorly, seeing as that is an accurate reflection of my percentile. So yeah. to preface, to hedge, I'm not the perfect LSAT test taker. I'm incredibly middle of the road, but I'm not done yet. Don't count me out yet. I'm only taking it one time. I spent about 300 hours between the months of May to August 15th when the exam was. Since then, haven't really touched it. And um, my, I, I had to go through some discernment and thinking about what I'm going to do for the next year. I don't think it'll be law school yep. next year. So this will be a, a good little session to see what I've learned, what I can do better. And hopefully, um, I think it's good to not only, I think a lot of people will seek advice from people that are at the top but i think seeking it from someone like me someone who's kind of in the middle of both ends is a a nice place of insight too so on to the the first of my many lessons things i did well one pomodoro i learned this from my friend dimitri Uh panici perhaps you've heard of him it's essentially the idea of studying where you have built-in study periods and then breaks. I'm sure we've talked about it multiple times if you listen to the podcast. And I first learned this in the spring when Dimitri was doing his live sessions where he would go 25 minutes of studying, five-minute break. I believe you repeat that three times? And then you do another 25 and then a 30-minute break. So essentially working Parkinson's law here, getting you into a bit of a flow state where you're telling yourself, I only have a small amount of time to get this work done. And perhaps you're giving yourself some kind of other goal. Like I want to get through this chapter of reading, or I want to get this number of exercises completed before this 25 minutes runs up. And then when you hit that five minutes, and I think this is super crucial too, you got to be super intentional with what you're doing yep. with those five minutes. I, one person that mm-hmm. I looked to for the Pomodoro sessions this summer was Zach Hiley, who is a current med student on YouTube and he talks about what he does with his five minute and 30 minute break sessions. And he tries to do something that's entirely different from the tasks that he is doing. So he spends a lot of time doing flashcards. I do a lot of time reading. So when I would take my five Mm -hmm. or 30 minute breaks, I was spending a lot of time looking out my window, walking around when I was sitting before trying to do something that's contrary to what you were doing before. Yeah, that's a very that's a very good way to do it. Uh, I I would say you probably spent more time by the end of this doing Pomodoro sessions than I had in the fall of 2020. I did it 
once or twice. I did it once a week and then twice a week for about two months, I think. And it was in our apartment. I would do some long sessions from what I recall. I would usually live stream from like 10 to 5 p.m., uh, which was, or yeah, uh, sometimes 12 to, sorry, somewhere between, uh, I think, sorry, 11 to 5 p.m. And that was, that was solid. I would do some five-hour live streams and it, and it was really nice to just get that knowledge going and like forcing yourself to do it. And there was a lot of social pressure and in my circumstance, but there was probably a lot for you too, because you talked about it with me a lot. You'd be in our apartment and you started doing this in like what, May? Yeah, like April, May-ish, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I learned it from you. I love the Pomodoro technique. I I even use it in school this semester it's not something that only exists in the the lsat bubble for me it's a great way i mean i've achieved higher levels of efficiency with my studying than ever this past summer when i was doing lsat studying despite not getting to the goal where i wanted to be i've learned an intense amount of content through those sessions i probably pomodoroed four days a week and i say another thing that's super beneficial about it is it can break up a lot of the monotony and uh, susceptibility to burnout because mm-hmm. if you you can really get into some kind of flow state or and it, it, can, it can become negative when you become so stuck on one set of exercises, one reading that you're looking at and just really trying to understand it. You can get into this place of frustration where you're just like, I want to, I want to figure this out. I don't want to move until this is completed, but that can be... Yeah. If if that continues to happen day in and day out, that can be something that leads to a lot of frustration and burnout for you. So forcing yourself to step away when that timer hits, whether it's good or for bad, is super productive to your long-term health in a study block. I give you a lot of credit because I think for me, I, and I, I, I want to say this in a, in a way that makes sense. I am good at producing i'm actually really good at producing when it comes to whether it's content pumping out like essays writing whatever it is just making it happen i'm not great in the sense of reading and trying to get that comprehension level and i think that kind of showcased in in the route i went for my major and how i ended up going for an mba not to knock on people who get mbas but we don't exactly have to do high level comprehension for long periods of time <laughs> and and i definitely give you a lot of credit that you managed this. And I think you, you did a lot of things that helped you get through what is inherently probably harder. I think producing for me, the reason I am high energy and I just throw caution to the wind when I do things and then it usually works. All right. And then you, you build skills that way or whatever. But I think I give you a lot of credit definitely for the, for the Pomodoro sessions, because there was a lot of cognitive bandwidth that you are using consistently and i wonder honestly whether you would have been able to keep it up unless you had that sort of principle put into place no you're absolutely right it's dense stuff and this isn't to virtue signal myself because i think there's something to be said about cranking out content and working at a really high speed too but this stuff is dense um i'm sure the mcat and gre are just the same that's kind of the nature of a standardized test is to lull you to sleep and then put you under a timer mm. so <laughs> yeah it, it can be tough and i think that this in tandem with the second 
lesson of things I did well actually works really well against um, mm-hmm. burnout. And again, this also ties nicely because I also learned this from Rice Productive Dimitri Panici. Um, it's utilizing a Google Calendar or some kind of set schedule for yourself. So back in May, Dimitri helped me set up my Google Calendar. Mm-hmm. And from the start, I had spaced out time or at least envisioned what it was going to look like to be LSAT studying. So I would always set up my calendar where I run in the morning. I give myself probably 30 minutes for breakfast. And I believe it was always between the hours of 11 and 4 p.m. I would just set that up as LSAT study time. And I mean, it may be even 5 p.m., but my roommate was here all summer and he knew that between those hours, I was basically inaccessible. I'd shut off the doors <laughs> and because of that Google calendar, I felt this kind of parameter closing me in saying, you need to be studying at these hours. And it's a good kind of pressure yeah. because it forces you to get into that dense content on days when you maybe don't feel like you want to do that or maybe tell yourself you're going to take a shorter day and maybe, I don't know, spend more time eating breakfast just dilly dallying and yeah and not only that it tells yourself when to stop so i'd always try to stop so i would have time Mm. to eat dinner and kind of relax knowing that i had done the hours i needed to do for that day because with a lot of these standardized tests it's hard to it's not like an assignment right you can't just like complete the assignment and say like i'm done like absolve my responsibility of this like <laughs> the, no, it's the journey the is thing. never ending so you have to give yourself some no. kind of ending point per day and i think the google calendar is incredibly helpful for that yeah i think i noticed a lot with you just your your change and how you're you're managing your time and i don't want to mm. you're my friend so i'm just gonna say it you you had a habit before of just like not respecting your time as much as you probably could have and I don't even think you were you were realizing you were doing it. And there's like this there's this hump that I think you have to overcome when you implement a lot of these principles in your life. And it's and it's the courage. Shout out Ryan Holiday for courage is calling great book. <laughs> it's the courage to understand that when you are respecting your own time, if you communicate this properly to the people around you, you're not being rude. You're just being honest about how you want to spend your time more intentionally. And I think a big thing that I, I've been talking about with people and I've noticed in my life recently is we talk about how our mind is great with ideas, but is really bad when it comes to like, or say creating ideas, but it's really bad when it comes to keeping those ideas in our head. Like we have great, we have the great capability to consistently keep these ideas just coming out and, and as a creative as in someone who's in, in YouTube and I, I don't just do YouTube. I do the blog. I do the podcast. Like a lot of stuff's going on at once, right? All the time. Something that I've learned just on a day-to-day basis is that the reason that I like this style of living so much is because I genuinely do not have to think much after something is created because I have like the systems in place to organize my my time. So for example, yesterday, shrimp was something that we're supposed to have paired with our dinner. And just people in my family forgot. And I was like, people forget things. And they're like, yeah, but I never forget that kind of stuff. And I just, and I kind of like bit my tongue, but 
I, I, I didn't want to virtue signal the whole productivity thing because it gets annoying sometimes to my own <laughs> self to do it. But the, the reason like I write everything down and I don't for, I, I quote unquote, don't forget anything. It's like, no, I forget it. The thing tells me like, I don't, I don't remember any of it. It's just there. Exactly. Yeah. It's knowing. Yeah. You, especially with time, you can get so lost in the fact that, oh, I'm like, stretching doing laundry what have you and if you don't have that system in place to remind you that this is the time that you need to be doing a task you're going to lose that time mm-hmm. yeah so that's that i mean i'm I think, a firm believer of this funny concept yeah it's oh, oh we had a <laughs> lag we had a lag spike people oh <laughs> I was I was just gonna say it's funny how you, with that story that the productivity is as corny as it is sometimes as intuitive as it seems sometimes it it has the answers it's kind of it's kind of like gospel in that sense. It is. I mean, here's an example. I'm making dinner for the family on Wednesday. My dad told me I need to take out the bratwurst that I'm cooking on Monday from our freezer. I didn't remember. It was like one and I had almost forgot, but I looked at the daily planner and went, oh, I got to take it out. Like, Just make a system where you capture it and you organize it quickly. And I actually have managed to continuously improve this process over like, it's going to be three years, I feel like at some point here soon, but it's been two years and like two months. So I think anybody gets started in it. They just slowly but surely figure out what works for them. And if you slowly but surely try to optimize that awareness and the awareness in the sense of the thing gives you the awareness. And you just build the habit of capturing the ideas and putting the systems in place. Exactly. Exactly. You hit on that nicely. And moving on to the third point. This is uh, similar in a sense. This definitely works with the, the systems idea. But creating a study space. Whether it be hmm. going to a library or some kind of place outside of your house to study. Or just setting up a great homework space for me yeah. i had both um and i would actually in my calendar decide what i was going to do ahead of time there were days when i would block out 15 minutes to walk to the library and then begin studying at eleven fifteen, or just wake up a little earlier and start at 11 or then there'd be days where i knew there was no friction with getting to the library and i was just gonna work from home and I think this is super powerful. This works back into a long episode from what feels like forever ago, but talking about flow state, mm. where you're working, you're putting yourself into an environment that feels like work. It's kind of like the analogy of like, yeah. it's that it's that corny fake science saying that people are like, oh, if you chew gum while taking notes and then you chew gum while you take the exam, like you're going to be in the same headspace. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's a really bad example. But <laughs> with this, it's, I believe it's true. If you continue yourself to put yourself in the same headspace, in the same literal environment, you're going to produce better results. I remember there were times when I was traveling and super frustrated because I'd have to bring my stuff on the go and essentially make my workspace out of some B-list spot. I would be at a, a coffee shop or an apartment that wasn't mine and getting in the mm -hmm. hours. And if, if you're anyone who's tried doing this for a standardized test, it is hard to put yourself into that same headspace where you're 
thinking critically about the concepts and performing at a higher level. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, I think for me, I've noticed this a lot. Sometimes I wonder, could I work remote remote? Because there's two versions of what remote means. One <laughs> means literally not at your job, and then one means in the middle of nowhere. I remember uh, MK on our team used this term when we were at KW's wedding. And he said he was debating on like wanting to just do a job where he worked somewhere remote to like look at, look at wolves and, and like do all the, the nature stuff he wanted to do. And I was like, oh, the word remote does mean that too. Oh God. <laughs> and I thought about this for my own self. Like, do I want to work remote remote? Because I could technically because I'm not required to go in right now. No. I just something about it with that like high level and like getting a lot done. I think it's just hard if you if you just change it up too much. Maybe that's me. I know good old Tim Ferriss likes to talk about the whole traveling. And I think I maybe could, but I'd need to have like a really good system in place to make it happen. Like honestly, I'd be I'd be a total chotch and like have a portable external monitor with me like at this coffee shop. And like cuz like they have those, right? Yeah, and I'd I'd have a really nice yeah I'd have I'd have the mouse, I'd have the keyboard and have the extra and I'd need that in order to like at least have a setup that's assembled like a workstation. <laughs> I, it's funny you brought up Tim Ferriss because I remember when we reviewed the four hour work week and I asked you what would be your dream line, you essentially gave me this picture of you with a <laughs> a work setup <laughs> in an RV. And you would just travel the nation and you'd be able yep. to have that same environment in the RV, but then you could just walk outside and you're traveling. I think that's the, that's, that's the medium you're looking to strike here because yeah, it, it is really tough. Otherwise, that's, to, that, that's a, it's a funny dream line that, that certainly wasn't mine, but maybe after this <laughs> summer learning my lesson, maybe it would be. <laughs> It's difficult. I mean, we've talked about this in one of my classes about people who are <laughs> like, quote unquote, like digital nomads. It's so, it's crazy to think that people can just hop around and I just can't imagine the amount of friction it has to take. I lose my mind sometimes going to a coffee shop and sitting down somewhere. I got to move because my laptop needs to be in a spot where I can charge it or I don't have enough mm. space at this table to whip out my mouse. Like, yeah. So for the, any kind of standardized test, I think that the stakes are even higher in that sense. You really need to be, as I say again, it's dense content and they're trying to time you. It's difficult. And I think that any kind of determent is going to be amplified. So make a good space for yourself. Yeah, I agree. Next one. I think we're going to fly through this one, but lead a healthy lifestyle. As Nietzsche says, the mm. the philosophy comes from the physiological. It's... um creating a, a, a great body in order to create a great mind. So eat well, don't drink or smoke. That's one of the, the lessons that any quick article will tell you <laughs> in terms of steroidized testing. It's just... Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's just going to fog things. And I think for a lot of people who do steroidized testing when they're not in school, it's tempting to fall into these habits of not sleeping enough or getting into some kind of inconsistent sleeping habit eating poorly because you want to save time or going out on weekends and drinking and partying. Getting into those inconsistent routines is going to be so detrimental the next day that you try to go and study. 
You're not going to be yeah. in the right mind frame. It's it's just like training your body for a marathon. You have to attune your mind in every way. Yeah. I think what what's a good reference point here is how James Clear talks about habits are the compound interest of of life and performance. Like when you do something that makes you a little bit worse, if you keep doing it, it'll get you to zero. If you do the same small things every day, you'll get really big results. So I definitely agree. It's I like the, from him the every task you do is a vote for what kind of self you want to be. And I almost think of like an angel and a devil on my shoulder. There's the the person who does really well at the LSAT <laughs> on one shoulder and like this party, like hedonistic devil on one other end. And every time I don't go out and drink, uh, the, the angel is just getting a little bit bigger and the devil is shrinking and not becoming my identity anymore. Anyway, I digress. I love it. The fifth lesson I learned and I actually relearned is relearn your content. I think with a lot of these things, especially I think with the GRE and the LSAT and I guess ACT, SAT too, these aren't skills you're learning in school. So relearn them. I think I spent, I broke up my summer probably poorly by doing this. I spent probably a half of my summer learning a lot of the content and a lot of the ideas behind question types and different sections of the LSAT learning all those concepts and skills and then applying those the second half of my summer and never really going back and relearning those skills. So if that looks like flashcards or re, I don't really believe that rereading things is super helpful, but maybe I found myself actually taking notes as if I was like in a lecture where I went back into my reading and wrote everything down into my own understanding, my own words. I found that useful, but relearn these things because it can be so tempting to immediately learn the skills and then say how can I apply these at the highest level and just working on how you're testing but if you don't go back and relearn the things you didn't learn and also the mistakes you're making you're going to get into a negative cycle yeah I think that's very fair I think a lot of people can benefit from that nugget of advice because there are a lot of circumstances where people just read the same thing over and over again and expect it to teach them something, but science does not back that. Exactly. And the last thing I did well before we get into things that I wish I had done better, immerse yourself into the community that you are studying with. This can look virtual or in real life. I had a little bit of both, but what I mean by this is don't put yourself into some kind of corner or into some kind of vacuum where you feel like you're the only one who is doing this. I was Mm. the only person I really knew in Chicago who was studying for the LSAT this summer besides another student athlete I knew and I've really made contact with. But I was able to find some kind of community and some places to bounce off ideas on r slash LSAT on Reddit. I... Yeah got on a lot of like forum posts with um power score they host like a, a blog like forum chat um that's pretty much running 24 7 where people talk about lsat stuff as well power score also has a, a podcast also mm-hmm. lsat demon has a their own podcast where they'll either just shoot the stuff about how bad lsat is as a a company or talk about previous lsats or concepts it's being able to 
not only do the studying, but live the lifestyle. Just like if you want to be good at anything else, if you want to be a good runner, you can't just go out and run every day and then assume you're going to be a good runner. You kind of, and this, you can take this to James Clear. This is part of taking up that identity when you're changing your habits. You got to keep making little tallies for the person that you want to be as an identity. Yeah. And I think he talks a lot about the whole changing your environment thing too, and how surrounding yourself with people who you want to be like, like, for example, I'm going to talk about it in a video in a few weeks. If I was in a circumstance where my friend group was constantly just uh, being rude about things like meditation or reading or whatever, I'm just going to not want to do it. And it's like getting yourself intertwined with and into friend groups where you can build habits because there you want to be like your friends. It's almost that I, I worded it in the videos. So I'm like this, like we are creatures of social habit as well. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of our habits and lifestyles are mimicry of our environment of what other people are doing. I mean, this, you can see this in fashion and behaviors and it, it applies to studying too. There's no success has been born in a vacuum and being able to put no. yourself around people either virtually or in person that will be able to bounce off ideas and also motivate you to succeed is super empowering. So essentially don't do it Agreed. alone. I didn't have it in person, not, at least for the most part, didn't really have it in, in person, but I did feel some kind of online community. So on to mm-hmm. things I wish I had done better. And this is yeah. going to tie in well with a, uh, a podcast from not too long ago, but don't get caught in the, the vanity metrics. Yep. I fell into this trap in two places. So the first was I did all my hours on toggle because as I'd said earlier, it's a marathon, not a sprint. There's a lot of hard ways to get caught into the process and not have any kind of milestones or checkpoints for yourself. And Toggle served me really well in a lot of ways. I was able to track how many hours I was getting weekly, but there came points where yeah. I had set expectations of what I'm going to do for this week, month, summer, and I saw those at points slipping through my hand and getting further away from me. And when you get yeah. so caught up in catching up on those hours, you sometimes suffer at, you suffer the quality for the sake of hitting hours. So there'd be days where I was, yeah, you do. there were definitely days where I maybe didn't plan to study, but put in two hours of kind of mediocre effort studying just so I could hit some hours and look at it at the end of the night and say, Hey, mm. I got some hours. Look at that. So yeah, definitely a vanity metric because I mean, what, what are you going to do? Like you can look at those hours, but does that change anything? Not particularly. And similarly, nope. with my practice test scores, um, getting too fixated on the score and not focusing in on the skills and concepts to make your score better can be another place where you can really fall into a trap. And I know that people probably feel that with MCAT and GRE as well. Oh, I bet. Uh, really quick tangent. I think what fits well here is we talked about on the vanity metric episode how there is not a direct correlation always between the number you see and the improvement you're making. And 
when it's not quantifiably obvious, sometimes it's not there. And what I'm doing, and I think think you're you're trying to do this too, and you've been doing it a lot with Notion, which has been cool, is like when you get caught up in the vanity metrics, like for example, right now, I'm honest, point blank, I'm into the analytics because I'm mind blown as to the 180 my channel took in the past like month and a half. It's just completely changed. It makes no sense. If you heard me talking about metrics any time of the year, you would have heard an offhand comment of like, eh, it's going all right, when someone would ask. Now I have yeah. something to talk about. But the one thing you can do to at least get past the vanity metric thing, or at least stomach the fact that you are a little bit caught up in it, is every single week, make time to have a systems improvements thing and take action on system improvements. So at least at the minimum, you're like making actual improvements towards said thing at an intangible level that is disassociated from like the numbers. Like for example, I know I'm a little too caught up in the analytics. However, I spent like a couple hours yesterday getting a bunch of transitions and sound effects templated for future edits. So I know like the quality is going to go up so I can stomach my dumb sort of vanity metric obsession at the moment. Yeah, you you made a couple nice points there. I think the first one being that vanity metrics love to make things out as a linear type of success where as you've seen with your youtube success and with my lsat studying as a testament as well it's not the case one bit actually i think one thing that kind of tainted my studying early on was i'd gone to a little um virtual conference about the lsat and this one teacher had said that for every 12 hours of studying you do you should see a one point improvement on your LSAT score. No. And I kind of based it off that. I said, well, this is my raw score. Every 12 hours, I'll gain one point and I want to get to this score. So do the math. And I ended up around just under 300 hours. And yeah, I mean, it, it, the thing did not, I got the hours and my, the score didn't get there. So it shows that things are not linear and I, I like the other point that you made about a tangible system improvement and this is kind of James Clear turning a negative habit into a positive one is taking that energy and making it into something good rather than obsessing over how many hours I hit this week on toggle instead focusing that energy towards what are the the little things I can do this week to make sure that my setting is more effective if that means like, I don't know, packing my lunch for the next day so I'm ready to go when it's time to go to the library or spending a little more time reflecting on some of the concepts I learned last week. Doing those little things, those little tangible things make a much bigger difference than obsessing over some meaningless, essentially, analytic. Yeah, and I think at some point I'd like to really make a deep dive uh, into the and honestly, this could be something. Yeah, you know what? This is why I have a capture inbox. Um, one capture day, ebook. one day, make a ebook on gamifying your productivity and the science behind the addiction of productivity apps. Uh, basically, like I have this idea, and I think it's the reason that it's it's working so well for me is because I actually kind of believe it. If you would, if you leverage these weird negative things into positives in the sense of like, 
we talked about my lack of self-care. I think I've gotten to the point where I'm literally addicted to checking boxes off in productivity apps. That is why I'm like so gung-ho about like, guys, you should try this out or try out a physical to-do list with checkboxes. Because of that reason, I am forcing myself to do things that are good for you. So like, just leverage your weird, all I'm trying to say is like leverage your, your weird, like just negatives into a positive by having systems that help that be the case. Yeah, and even leverage your strengths. Like you said, you love checking boxes. That's not something that everyone inherently loves in any kind of way. So taking that and using that as an advantage rather than seeing it as some kind of negative. All right, we are on to the the second thing I wish I had done better, which is take intentional breaks. This is something we talked about with vacationing. The power of vacationing is... Turning away from a studying session is so crucial in any kind of block that you're in. Even if your block is two months of hard studying before an exam, take a long weekend or even a full week of zero. Don't yeah. Don't make it a small week. Don't go on any kind of online forum or even try to avoid any kind of conversation about that exam that you're studying for because being able to wipe your brain clean of all these kind of thoughts is going to be very rejuvenating in a time where you are putting yourself under an immense amount of stress with dense material. And that's something that I had failed. I had taken a couple of vacations this past summer and I, I saw them as opportunities to sneak in hours in really poor ways as we've already kind of talked about, rather than using them as times to regenerate a lot of the energy and even, I mean, as like some psychology will show, learn and absorb those concepts even better rather than stressing and trying to grab a little more understanding, letting those concepts kind of absorb and seep into my brain. Yeah, that's fair. I, I remember a lot of the times during those Pomodoro sessions would help me get through like the small breaks that would occur was I would, it sounds stupid, but I was past the meditation challenge and I didn't really feel like whipping out the call mat for like a two minute or a five minute meditation, (laughs) which I definitely could have. But instead I would just sit, I would like sit off camera, close my eyes and breathe for like five minutes. And it, it's, it's much better than it sounds. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've gotten incredibly into meditation recently, and there are times when I'll get to class early for a lecture, and I just came from another lecture, oh, yeah. perhaps. And I just want to r- wipe it clean and kind of refocus where I'm at, because you walk into any kind of situation with previous stresses, whether you consciously realize that or not. But as soon as the alarm hits, there are things that you're already worrying about, and you need to be able to wipe those clean. So that's a nice example on the macro level or the excuse me the micro level yeah even on the macro level you need to be able to take those long breaks in order to relieve a lot of that stress exactly next thing that i wish i had done better and this is similar but know your Mm -hmm. study limits and uh, avoid that burnout this works well with the google calendar i think i fended off a lot of burnout through that and through the Pomodoro technique as well, but really feeling yourself physiologically, just how 
success isn't linear. Burnout is not only always a a one-way path. There were times when it was just a normal week. I had just only done four hours a day. And there were some days when I was exhausted for whatever reason. And sometimes you can't explain that thing. So the body works in odd, weird ways. So listen to your body, essentially. It's just like with, as any good runner would, you got to listen to what is going on and being able to tackle those issues rather than ramming your head into a wall. Yeah, I agree. And we can learn a lot from our running experience when we had random injuries that occurred. Like there, there's this thing that I believe in really, it's like this momentum of life. And this occurs with me a lot. And I think a lot of the reason that I try to improve my systems all the time is because I try to prevent myself from hitting that like random burst burnout. Cause sometimes there are two different types of things, right? You can be a sprinter, you can run a 400 meter dash and you can be feeling amazing for 300 meters. And then you just hit the wall or you can be <laughs> a guy running an 8k in cross country. And that's your kind of burnout where you, you hit like mile four and a half and you're like, this is, oh, I'm, I'm done. But like you felt it coming as it happened. When it comes to like a race, like the 400, the 800, you feel it randomly and it hits you in the mouth and you just don't feel ready for it. So that's why I've always been in the opinion of trying to systemize your life and have it set at like, if you had a dial, right? You have the dial set to 95 or 90% and then you just, yeah, there's wiggle room. There's that five, 10% wiggle room, but don't ever let yourself get past that because you know what happens? You burn out and you weren't even ready to burn out and it just happens. So I definitely think definitely think knowing your limits and systemizing helps there. I definitely agree. I like your, your running analogy. I think I'd like to add to it here. I think with an AK or a long race burnout, it's, it, it, I don't think distance is exciting because it's, it's more of like a a slow die. Like you just slowly fall off that pace. And I, I kind of see this as the worst kind of burnout because it's, something that's consciously happening day in and day out and you're just slowly getting worse and doing nothing about it. Whereas with like a 400, it's very dramatic. Like suddenly someone's having the race of their life and next second they're, it's visible. You can see them hit that wall and it's like, what just happened? But that's just, and sometimes it's, it's inexplicable for them too. It's just kind of, you have those days and you have to be able to create a system that factors in for those days. I agree. Exactly. Very cool. We're on to the, if anyone's following the 10th thing, the 10th piece of advice. And this is the, the fourth thing I wish I'd done better, which is to start sooner than you need to start. Because for me, Mm. I started around May. I thought that that would be all the time I need. This kind of can run counter to the, the burnout idea where you don't want to put too much thought into it for too long, but I, I think this actually helps avoid burnout in the sense that you're slowly dipping your toes into the water of these things. You should start working it slowly into your schedule. This is almost like um, building a new habit in micro doses before making big ones. Like, yep, you can compare it to me. Exactly. I'm trying to. I'm trying to write a blog. I'm just trying to write one sentence per day, not a paragraph, not a whole blog, just slowly easing into it. And then with time, things are going to get bigger and I'm going to be able to take on more in a similar sense. Don't just jump headfirst into the water, work it slowly into a work or a school schedule where you're doing small little sessions and familiarizing yourself with some of the basics of the standardized test. 
Yeah, there there is no no person on the planet who can handle all those things at once in their life and then adding a new thing on top of it that's like all the way in. So I definitely agree with you. And I think there's probably some some argument and I guess to play devil's advocate here, what would you say? I have an answer, but I'm curious what your response will be. What would you say to someone who would be like, oh, well, you guys talk about Parkinson's law all the time, like you're extending it by a few more weeks. Aren't you going to just do the same amount of work anyways? Um, That's a good question. So you're saying like... <laughs> If the the exam is still on August 15th, no matter what, why don't I just, like, I don't know, prepare myself to be ready by, like, August 1st? Is that kind of what you're saying? I'm saying if you're if you're making it, like, three weeks earlier, starting-wise, or let's say make mm-hmm. it easy. Say you start preparing a month earlier. We talk about Parkinson's Law all the time. Aren't you just going to spend the same amount of time, probably, in the aggregate working in that month difference of extra time you gave yourself? Because you're going to give yourself more leeway. Oh, I see what you're saying. I would say no. Because as you get closer and closer to that exam date, you're going to, you're going to get into a consistent schedule. And I think at the, that first month that you tack on at the beginning for yourself, it's not even, it never hurts to put in more hours. And I don't think you're going to give yourself that leeway because there is so much stress staring you down at that finish line. I don't know if that sufficiently answers your question. No, I think it was a good answer. I think I was just, I was just curious what you were going to say. I think that along with mm, some people like making this argument with me and I, I wish I would have brought it up during the, well, I kind of did during that one episode about how do you always stay productive and never procrastinate? Uh, <laughs> I think the big idea is if you give yourself more time, you got to micro, you got to like micro Parkinson's law yourself. If that makes sense. If you if you micro Parkinson's law yourself on a daily basis, just because it's a longer overall period does not mean you'll do the same amount of work. I agree. I I agree with micro Parkinson's law yourself. You mean like, building in kind of like with a Google calendar that you're going to do mm. a little bit of work in this each day that first month. Yeah. Like micro, uh, micro just small systems and put it into place earlier. Like for example, somebody who doesn't have systems in place, but does start studying for the LSAT a month early, they will probably in the aggregate do the same amount of work because they will give themselves incredible amounts of leeway across the, across the board because they're like, oh, well, I started studying for the LSAT in March versus you starting in June. But if you were somebody who started in February and for had planned out times to do it, like you're going to do it more. That yeah, I, I see what you're saying now. And yeah, I think that starting sooner has that susceptibility to a lot of leeway and relaxation where you're saying, oh, it's, it's March. I have till August. I can just do two hours a day. And if I do that for X number of days, I'll be fine. And the next thing you know, missing multiple two hour sessions is happening because it's so, it's so easy to just forget to do some, what feels like a small task if it's only taking up two hours of your day. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And you have to be able to build in a system where you're either being consistent or 
like I said, kind of dipping your toes into things where you're making it small amounts of time. And then once you get nearer and nearer to that larger, more committed amount of blocks of time. Yeah, exactly. Beautiful. And on to the, the final, <laughs> final 11th takeaway, things I wish I did better. And we were talking about this before we got on the, the podcast. Dimitri was saying this is, the, this is the content creator role. You were not talking about the L7 when we were talking about this. We are talking about the channel. No. He said, sometimes you think something is going to yeah. be great and, and then it'll bomb. Sometimes you think something's going to tank and it goes really well. I think that leading up to any kind of standardized tests and especially afterward as well, don't set expectations. Put your stoic blinders up and just forget about any kind of feeling that you had about that exam. Don't try to read into how you think it went because... If you're me, I'm very bad at predicting how I did on a standardized test. I think that's true for a lot of people, but I'm not sure. Very fair. Uh, For reference, the video titled Week, the best best new productivity app. I thought it was going to be the worst video I'd made in weeks. And I've been on this roll of like pretty much most videos being a number one because the channel just keeps growing. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to push this guy later maybe if i won't even post it i'm already three weeks ahead on videos i guess i could just push it there's no reason to like i don't have to post any of these in the order it's all arbitrary and and then, and then i was just like you know what ah, screw it i guess i'll just i'll just post it i'll i'll suck it up if, if it's if the channel slows down for a day and it was the best performing video i'd put out in a month or in months and i was like what the how the well uh i guess i'm just a little stupid I don't know. I was like, I guess you really <laughs> never know. You never know. And especially when you're, it, it sounds counterintuitive, but the more repetitive you are about some kind of performance task, I think the less you can, the more you can lose your sense of how you're doing things, whether it be putting out content or taking an exam. There were times when I took an exam, I would be too three sections in, I was like, this is going terrible. I know it's going to go terrible. And when I get my score after this last section, I'm going to hate myself. Mm. It ended up being great. And there were times when, like on my official exam, where I thought that it had gone a certain way and it went a different way. (laughs) So yeah, practice your stoicism, remove those expectations. And when you don't put any kind of, when you don't will any kind of expectation in the world, you're going to see things in a much more realistic way for how they are and yeah you won't be let down or built up to any kind of extreme yeah and i think this is weird i don't know if this is a me quote because i actually i just straight up said it the other day and it, it wasn't pulled from anything that i know of but i said this in the house and i thought it was it was it, it was a decent quote like I, I gotta refine it but i could make it a quote if i ever wrote a book <laughs> uh no amount of worry made up for it no amount of worry has ever made up for a second of of action taken and I think I'm just that's like the overall vibe I'm getting from a lot of stoic thing readings a lot of these other things like reading atomic habits by James clear it just shows up in a lot just like do just just do the Voltaire quote and I think this really fits with this concept because no amount of worry has made it for a second of action it could have been taking towards just making the next video better or in your case, no amount of worry could have made up for how the rest of that test was going to go while you were thinking it wasn't going well. No amount of worry was going to make up for 
is going to make up no amount of worry is going to make up for anything to change in the pandemic no matter how much people want to act like it's going to change if they worry about it nothing's <laughs> going to change if they if they say something about the pandemic because they're worried about it nothing's going to change nothing's going to change because you're worrying about it and <laughs> with that in mind yeah no uh it it's just it's really sticking with me and i think just start doing and worrying less i think the last thing i'll say is a gary v quote that essentially is he has this concept uh regarding content creation and how algorithms work and i think it, it fits in general in life and same with james clare talking about doing things all the time and getting through the boredom you will you will eventually become successful if you just keep doing the same things all the time if you do enough of something if you create enough videos just because you have the intention for one of them to do well does not mean it will do well but if you just keep putting out good content and improving the content eventually something will stick eventually like just all just keep just keep shoving it just keep doing it just keep pushing it out make it higher quality and keep doing it. and that's what happened with the week video and i think it's a good analogy for whether it's studying for an exam or just trying to improve what you're doing on a day-to-day basis definitely agree i remember I actually this will tie up nice with my final point i had a um a long speech I read in high school and I ended up putting parts of the speech up on my walls to remind myself of nice. like this motivating speech. And the last sentence was like, you need to be incapable of determent. So essentially that yeah. just keep working, keep being consistent. And um, yeah, things will come your way. They are for Dimitri. They hopefully will for me in this sense too. And uh, with that, any uh, final thoughts here, Dimitri? Uh, final thought would be, you know, guy, you got more time to to study for the next the next round of this thing. So just do what you did again, and and no amount of worry will make up for a for a second of action towards you trying to achieve whatever goals you have, whether it is doing the LSAT again or it's anything else. Just 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 know we're proud of you, regardless of how any sort of artificial number <laughs> of a score says. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. I said my final thought would be, uh, yeah, I mean, if anyone's in a situation where they're taking any kind of standardized test and want a little bit of insight, um, I hope you find this valuable. I know that if I had told myself this before I got started when I was a ignorant and innocent little uh, little child, I would uh, be very grateful <laughs> of myself from the future coming back to tell me this because so it, some of it's intuitive and so... Uh, still something that gets missed in the in the haze of a, a standardized test study block so yeah hope, hopefully people find it a little helpful awesome and with that being said we will see you guys in the next one bye <laughs> <laughs>